You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Hey, everyone. I'm Jackie Lewis. Welcome to the third season of Love, Period. In this season, we're exploring what fierce love looks like in a time of trauma, when all around the globe, folks are trying to figure out how to be the best version of human they can be in these difficult and traumatic times. Today's guest on Love Period is my friend, Carrie Kelly. I met her on the Together Tour, traveling around with authors, women trying to change the world with their words. Carrie's new book, American Detox, is a calling in to real healing and real transformation beyond what might be superficial in the wellness culture. We interviewed each other, really, about her wellness book and mine, and I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Carrie Kelly, my friend. Hey. Reverend Jackie Lewis, my (laughs) friend. Hi. Oh my gosh, Hi. so great to see you and be here with you and be in conversation with you across the country, by the way. Across the country. The magic That's not what of I'm Zoom. used to, though. I'm used to sitting in your church. I know. I was looking the other day through some photos, Carrie, and there it was you and me at the end of worship at the door. And it kind of broke my heart. I was like, damn, there's no, there's no door. You know, that stuff is gone. Bye-bye. I want to say that, you know, the pandemic was hard. You yes, know? it was. Oh. But... The levee broke when Middle Church burned for me. That was it. Like, that was when I, that brought me all the way to my knees, all the way to my knees. Thank you for saying that, love. I got so much love from you then and so much from friends all over. And I tell you what, Carrie, every now and then, and I don't mean to whine, but I'm going to tell you that it is the fire keeps on burning. That That's what I'll say, that, mm. you know, the fire of of COVID, the fire of the fire, the fire of, I mean, it's not a secret that the collegiate church made some investments with some partners and it kind of went down and away. And so we kind of had a big hit to our endowment, which makes the fire of scarcity and the fire of fear. And what are we going to do? And what are we going to do? We literally voted to rebuild the church just last February. So February of twenty. 22. And then the larger church foursome voted to rebuild us in April. But still, we have one more meeting at the end of May. By the time this comes out, we'll have known, we'll know what are the real ramifications and implications of this. And Carrie, then you are like auditioning, you feel like, in your life, for your life. Because this is my life. <laughs> I mean. You have been such a, a model of grace. And, and when, I, when I think about what happened, so for folks who don't know, you know, we're talking about Middle Collegiate Church on the Lower East Side, which was my home church. And Reverend Jackie Lewis was my pastor. I say that to you all the Carrie time. Carrie is like, my You were my teacher. And my friend. That's right. <laughs> and during the pandemic, the most tragic, tragic thing happened and the church burned to the ground. And when I think about you, when I think about how I, who I know you to be um, and what I have learned from you, I feel like you are walking the path of Phoenix rising from the ashes. 
And like, I look to what you are doing and how you are rebuilding and the, and the, and the way in which the world is raging and burning. And yet, you know, and yet so are we. Yes, we are. We too are the fire, right? Yeah, we, we are, are the fire. We are strong and yes. we are fierce, like the book that you wrote. We are fierce. <laughs> we are fierce, doggone it. Yes, we and are. And so I, I yeah. just want you to know that, like, I think about you often and I think about um, the lesson that you are giving all of us that, you know, even when shit burns to the ground, we can rise and, and we can rise into more. Yeah. We can be transformed. And, and Carrie, when we were talking kind of in that, right as pandemic was coming, we were both about to write a book and we were thinking about the books and we were like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh, can we write? Can we breathe? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> How you doing? How you doing? <laughs> can, you, can you breathe? What, what did we say yes to? Oh my gosh. So you, but you finished your book and it comes out June 7th. Oh Yay. my gosh. It feels <laughs> I don't have children by my body and it does feel like the closest thing to birth. Um I I feel like my guts are hanging all over the place oh, yeah. <laughs> for one. And I, it's like I can't see into my future. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's next, right? Like I'm I'm this book changed me. It was yeah. a practice in and of itself and I'm different because of it and I'm different because of the people that inspired it and so I'm I'm both both terrified and excited to see what happens next in this sort of new life with this new baby. I can totally relate to that. I love your title. I love American Detox. So let's just dive in a bit and tell the folks, because we kind of know what was going on for each other. But tell me about why you needed to give birth to American Detox. And you'll ask me the same question, and I'll tell you. But why? <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I love this yeah. kind of interview. We yeah. should do this all the yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. Mutuality, you know, which is the practice. Um, oh, gosh, there are so many reasons I wrote this book. You know, I wrote it because— the stakes are so high um, and because, um, and the crises are accelerating and they're coming fast and furious um, and we need to do something different, right? So that was part of, and, 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 you know, I wrote this book from my location. And so it was like, it was about my journey to awakening and what do I need to be doing differently as a white, you know, cis, straight, able-bodied woman in the world? What is my right role and responsibility in this mess? And what is my part in shaping the future? So that was sort of one of the things that brought me to this book. In holding that question, it was like a complete unraveling (laughs) of, you know, like, like I want to say I wrote this book, but I didn't write it. I rolled around on my mat and I screamed and I cried. <laughs> I her danced. She means her yoga mat. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, I, I practiced, you know, I, I really did like practice the idea of detox. I practiced the idea of deconstructing everything that I knew. I practiced the idea of of dismantling um, the 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 constructs and the veils and the and the cloaks that were in the way of of myself and of my well-being. And this book is about, it's a, it's a critique of wellness, but it's really about what it means to be well in a toxic world. And that was the question that brought me to this book. Like, how do I be well? Like, what does it mean to be well? Um, and not the kind of wellness that wellness sells us that like we can just drink green juice and do a hot yoga class and we're good to go. But the kind of detox that like brings us to our knees, that challenges the ways in which we've internalized whiteness and colonization and individualism and perfectionism and and all the really messed up things that have shaped us, that have shaped our bodies and our minds and our hearts. And the last thing I'll just say 
maybe this isn't the question that brought me to this book, but this was the thing I got from the practice. This is that this was what I took away from the journey is that I wrote this book because I, I believe there's more. And this is what I feel like points back to your book. I'm like, like what is in the way of more love? What is in the way of real well-being, right? What is in the way of liberation, right? And, and, and then what is our part in like confronting those things and transmuting them into something different, something beautiful. And so I just want to say fierce love, I think, is the thing I got from this book. I don't even know that I asked for that going into the process, but afterwards I was like, there's more. There's more than what we have inherited, right? There's more than um, the systems that we're a part of, the toxic culture that we are breathing. There's more possibility for love. There are more ways to love, right? There are more ways to create and build and and be well together. And so that's sort of where I left off in this book. Well, so we're going to have to write part two to these books together, right? <laughs> fierce love and, and fierce radical love, fierce love, well-being. Radical well, that's right. Get, get well. <laughs> Let me just say, I'm so proud that you got it finished, right? Because writing a book is it really is having a baby. So let me come back and follow up. But I think I think what I have loved about being your colleague, your friend, your ally, I'm going to say in the healing of the world, is your citizen well work. Uh, like I read a bunch of stuff, and when but when you when I get your email, which we've talked about how you curate that and what you think about, it, and that's not just like you know just bip and skip and do it, but like thoughtful, mindful, well-inspiring, calling in kind of informative, beautiful work. And just knowing your story, I think we are so the same and and different, right? But so much the, well, Mama Ruby will put us both to work, so that's what we have in common too. <laughs> There's so that. Like, did you? <laughs> did you do the thing? There's that. Uh, but... Seriously, Carrie, right? The world demands, the world demands a new recipe, a new program, a new practice, a new religion. You know, you've heard me talk about getting a grown-up God, and and I I did not write the book Grown-Up God after all. I've thought those thoughts and prayed those prayers and got my own grown-up God I did. But I, I actually wanted to go past God. Sorry, God. You know, past God, if God would be a barrier, Carrie, let's just say, if God would be a barrier to wellness to somebody because of the ways we've constructed God, mm. right? We don't have enough information to know who God is, for sure. So we're always making up some stuff, which is a projection and like our, in our own image-ness of God. Thirteen years ago, maybe, I started thinking about this. remember talking to Marianne Williamson, a friend we have in common. She's like, yeah, I, I heard you say that. And there was something about the way she said, I heard you say that, made me think, like, what, what else am I trying to say? And this is what happened to me. I almost wondered if I needed to get a new vocation because I can't be that kind of Christian anymore. I wasn't really ever that kind of Christian. I don't want to be associated with that kind of Christian. If Christian means white, nationalist, hegemony, sexist, patriarchy, anti-gay, anti-women, you know, anti-choice, you know, anti-science, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I, I was embarrassed about that. That constellation of ideologies that felt like Christian. So I would say I'm a universalist Christian, and I am. But 
I wanted to say, actually, I follow Rabbi Jesus to love. That's really what it is. That's really what it is. And so I ended up writing Fierce Love to save my soul and to try to describe something I think can heal us. Trayvon Martin, I'm the girl whose mother told her the story of Emmett Till. There's no way we can still be the people that'll just lynch a, lynch a boy, you know, for, for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And we are, over and over and over and over again. We are those people. We are those violent people. We are those snatch the children out of the arms of the mothers. I can't do it, sweetie. I just couldn't do it. So I was like, what is it? So I really believe that this book is my sermon. <laughs> yes. This is my sermon, and it's for everybody. Yes. Love yourself well. Love the people around you well so you can love the world well. And I'm not talking codependent, namby-pammy love. I'm talking sacrificial, truth-telling, ferocious uh, engagement, you know, go-to-the-mattress love that demands candor and demands justice for all and acknowledges that we're inextricably connected. So I wrote my sermon, and if I had like, I thought if I should die before I wake, I've written it. That's what happened. <laughs> And I started writing before COVID, and then the church burned down in December. And my editor was like, I think we have to take a break, right, and take another month or two. So the fire is in the book. I want to resonate with just what you were saying because, you know, and I know you know this about me. I, you know, I was called to to spiritual practice and, and wellness and yoga and meditation because I was recovering from Catholicism because I— I felt betrayed yes. by the church yeah, in many right. ways. And then I felt betrayed by wellness, which is really what I write about I want to talk about for, that some, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for all the reasons I yeah. use, because of, because of the construct, not because of the origins or the source of the wisdom, but because of the way in which, it, which it's been interpreted, adapted, stolen, mm-hmm. right? Like stolen yeah. from indigenous people, exploited. <laughs> and what I want to say is that somehow through that process, I was led back to the church to you. Because what you were speaking to me went beyond the house, which is why it's so ironic that the house burned. Yes. But the spirit is still there. You know, the house being like the the construct, the architecture, the the house burned, but the spirit was there. And I wasn't called to the house as much as I was called to you. And I was called to this idea that you were putting out there that God is love and that God is beyond and that God is more. And so I just want to say that back to you because that's what I get also from this book, right? Is that like, I get God in your book on such a like deep and transcendent level. Oh, sweetie, it meant so much to me. You and I started this conversation with like, how vulnerable do you feel when you write your book and you're, (laughs) you feel like your panties are showing and your gut is hanging out and your spanks fell down and all the things, like everything is just out. So do you feel free? Do you feel afraid and free? I mean, how how does it leave you feeling? I mean, I feel like, um, you know, you never know what you're going to write until you write it. You just name that. And I ended up writing about like the messiness of my journey, uh, the mistakes, the learning. I really felt important, especially as a, a white person in this work, to model what it is to walk the path. 
and for and not to make it neat and tidy and not to pretend like I know everything, but to actually just be like, I have no idea what I'm doing <laughs> and I'm going to do it anyway. Um, yeah. One of the quotes that you have that I love so much, and I remember this always, is movements are messy, but we have to move. Yes. I learned that from you. Movements are messy. And so that's sort of, that was go. the stance, yeah. right? Of you got to go, right? And so I just kept going and I think I ended up excavating more than I, <laughs> more than I, I asked for. I had a lot of work to do actually in writing this book. I did a ton of grieving about 9-11. You know, this book begins on 9-11. I lost my stepdad. When you lose your stepdad, yeah. Yeah, who was a fireman, you know, in ladder 15 and, you know. A fire took your stepdad. Well, that, so that part too. And, you know, I want to tell you something crazy, by the way, hmm. is that my stepdad's house responded to your fire. Oh, my God. I knew and that. I have, I have videos of it. And so how like wild is that? I, f- I completely forgot to say that. Um, I asked, I was home for the 20th anniversary and I asked some of the guys in the house who I've known forever. And I said, you know, my, my dear friend's church burned down on 9th and 2nd. And, they, and he was like, that fire? I was at that fire. And then he proceeds to send me a bunch of videos of him inside the fire. Oh my gosh. Was he okay? Because a few people got, a few people got. He was, he was totally okay. Um, but he said it was precarious. It you was know? a crazy and, fire, Carrie. Oof. And he also said that, um, I forget the words that he used, but he said like it was felt. Yeah. Like that it was felt, like the loss of that place was felt by the guys that were, you know, they weren't just like, you know, firemen respond all the time to lots of fires, you know, but that felt different, different enough for him to like record it. They were so special. Let's just say, just less, of all the things, things found in the fire is what I'm thinking about for this next book, right? Carrie, those guys were so, those women and those men were so freaking awesomely, amazingly great, kind it was a ripping love. It was a ripping of, of my soul, I would say. And I don't talk about it that much because it's just hard. But they were so sweet. Oh, my God, they were so kind and so faithful. That's what I would say. They were ministering to us. And while the building was burning, my congregants were like sitting shiva. Like we were like all just standing around watching the smoldering bricks, watching the smoke. Oh, and then the women next door who weren't burned but were smoked were standing outside. And my congregants kind of went, well, there's nothing else for us to do. So we're going to take these women shopping. Oh, it's nice. And I mean, if that's not fierce love, I don't know what is. You know, they're like, okay, y'all, we got to go. We're going to take these women and go, not to the Kmart around the corner, but we're going to Macy's and we're going to go yes. get them oh some, give them some love. It was amazing. So your book starts at 9-11 with the loss of your stepfather. So yeah, the nugget, I, you were just like, what is the nugget? And I was like thinking, you know, at the by the end of this book, because you, know, you have to work all the way through the labor to get to the thing. At the end of the book, what I realize, and I realized this actually on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, I was doing a talk with someone, and I don't know how these words came out of my mouth, but I said, they were asking me about my stepdad, and I said, um, he was an ordinary guy. He Like, you know, the way we often talk about 9-11 firemen and first responders is that they're heroes, and they did you know, insane and amazing, brilliant, you know, courageous, unimaginable things. They're just ordinary guys. Yes. 
Ordinary yeah. guys and girls and everything in between. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And that that was like, you know, I had a hard time remembering him as a hero. Not because he didn't do an amazing thing, but because I just knew him. I knew him to the core. And it just made me realize that that's what we're all being called to do. We're all ordinary people being called to do extraordinary things. And that's what you all did, right? Um, and that's what the guys did when they responded to the church, you know, burning. And, you know, I think that's the call right now is like, how are we all first responders on the front line of this epic fire that we're facing? Is there life after doom? Explore the complexity of hope and grief at our upcoming event, Courage and Resilience, an online gathering with Brian McLaren. Unpack themes from Brian McLaren's new book, Life After Doom. Discover how to find courage, even when everything may feel hopeless. Join us live on May 17th at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. All those who register will have access to the recorded replay for one year. Register at cac.org courage. I love the way you said that, Carrie. How are we all first responders? And I love this idea of this calling to the front lines, Carrie, by being ordinary people who will hack through, chop through, dismantle, detox the crap in ourselves. Like my my book is Love Yourself First, and I'm like, how? By looking fiercely at yourself and being honest with your stuff and get and getting through it and over it and stop it. And then turning that same kind of compassion and love and, and grace to the other folks so we can do the world. So look, my great uncle George was not a fireman, but he worked with Fannie Lou Hamer to register people to vote in Mississippi. And then this crazy behind time when the court already gutted the gutted the Voting Rights Act. Just, we all went, oh my goodness, look what they did. And now they're gutting women's right to choose, folks' right to choose with their bodies. And the Senate won't even pass a law that says women can choose. Who are we? What is happening? I'm so mad about that. What the hell? And are people, Carrie, are white, nice women going to read your book and go like, damn, I better... <laughs> Get in the game. What? They better. <laughs> I mean, you know me. This book is a hammer. I know it <laughs> it's is. Not, it's not like it's a, not it's an not. invitation. It's a hammer. <laughs> what do you want people to to do? Because they, you are Miss Healthy, you know, California skin, drinking the right water, <laughs> doing the yoga poses, sitting on the mat. You are writing Citizen Well. You are healthy from the inside out kind of human. You, you just are. But yet you're critiquing something fundamental about that movement. Say about that. Mm, I, I mean, I feel like you're doing that too in many ways. You know, I, what you were saying about, you know, challenging religion, you know, one of the things I write in this book is that this is not a rejection of wellness. It's a reclaiming of it. Because while I rage against wellness all the time, you know, I, I, I was called to wellness because I was called to heal. And I was, I had a real, on 9-11, I had realized I'd been living a lie, you know, and I started to question everything. And, and I was, I was called right to this promise, if you will, of like truth and unity and wholeness. And so I fell for it. Like, 
<laughs> face first. And I went all the way in. I became a yoga teacher. I wore mala bleach. I mean, I was that per- I was that girl, <laughs> you know, who did all the things <laughs> the way that you describe me. Like that is true, right? Yes. That happened. And then, you know, the other thing that happens, I think inevitably, if you actually do the thing, if you actually pray, if you actually listen, if you actually detox yourself from the delusions, yes. right? Um, is that um, you can't not see what's really happening. And so that happened to me. And I I started to see that like what wellness was promising was not really real. And that there was no way that I could be well on my yoga mat or in my gated community of wellness when so many people were suffering on the Mm -hmm. backs even of so Mm -hmm. many people. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I started to really like push up you know, against the system of wellness, the the dominant culture of wellness, which isn't special. It's just an indoctrination of everything else we talk yes, about, right? Yes, As is the yes, church. Yeah. Same thing, different language, maybe. Same, same thing, thing di- different Yeah, language. same, different yeah. house, you yeah, know? Like, different house, yeah. But it's not a rejection in that, like, the idea of wellness as wholeness, as returning to our whole selves, not the selves that we were told we should be by dominant culture and by societies and by constructs of race and gender and all that messed up stuff. You know, like that kind of wholeness and also not the wholeness that's the individual, the wholeness that includes all of us, the wholeness that includes Mother Earth, right, and all living things. And so wellness is that, to me, is is a longing to return to that. And to remember the truth of that. And so the contradiction that you're naming of like me being this healthy wellness person and also me raging against the machine is is the line that I walk, right? And it's also sort of, I feel like what I tried to capture in this book where I like just like, you know, ah, wellness is this. And, you know, like this vicious and ferocious, the word I love that you use. Isn't that a good word? Ferocious critique. It's the greatest word. It's the best word. But but listen, Carrie, I wasn't thinking about the contradiction. I was thinking more about an evolution. Like, I think Carrie, who reminds me of an ivory girl of just, you know, wholesome looking Irish, you know, clean living girl, also is a hammer to say, cut this crap out. So I I don't think of that as a contradiction. I feel like you've evolved though, right? There's something that's, I think so. that's been transformed. Yeah. And I want to say, I don't mind the word contradiction because in many ways that helps me grapple with the truth that we are all immersed in these messed up systems, whether mm-hmm. we like it mm-hmm. or not, mm-hmm. and we're raging against them. You know, and I feel like you embody that too, right? Like you're inside this construct as you as you actually break it down and yeah. try to burn it that's to the true. ground. And so, that's true. so like, and to me that's spiritual practice, right? Is like, how do we hold the, the, the absolute truths that we are one and we are all human and we are all love, right? And we are all deserving and worthy. And the reality, the very brutal reality that um, we are not having the same experience of being alive on the planet because of how things have been designed and and constructed. And and it just feels important, especially as a person with so much privilege and proximity to power, for me to hold that complexity. I love that, Carrie. I love that about you. I love that you're saying it out loud. I think it is the place that we need to go. I mean, my friend Amanda Habergashcraft reminds me so much of, you know Amanda from from Middle. The idea that more white people, and John, my beautiful white Methodist man, more white people more often saying what I think indigenous folks and African-American folks and Asian folks and, you know, I'm going to even go, let let me take it back a step. Before white people put on whiteness, Irish people, in Ireland, right? You know, the Gaelic 
surviving, joyful, you know, spirit, the resilience, the make it, we can do it. Whatever it is about the Swiss, whatever it is about the Germans, whatever it is about the Brits, God bless, there's something that happened before whiteness, before passing for white, that was ethnic and earthy and, you know, like like had culture and uh, stories and recipes, you feel me? Language and dance. And it's all in there. And it is how we made it through the famine, how we made it across the ocean, how we made it when we didn't, couldn't make a way out of any way. So not, so that the indigenousness of that, the, the rawness of that, right? Right? The medicine. Then whatever, like let's take the first 20 people that screwed it up and coming to get something that they don't have, but they come and take to have it. And suddenly white is a religion, Carrie. Whiteness is a religion. And this is the religion that masquerades as Christianity. This is the religion that sets up this nation like against its in indigenous inhabitants. I mean, come on. Builds the nation on the back of enslaved folks. You know, dares to take, you know, make treaties to take Mexico from Mexicans and then make walls so they can't come get their stuff. I mean, this is, this is what I'm fighting against. And it is what you're fighting against. And I think it's a shared fight to look critically and detox, yeah, those systems that are designed to kill us all, kill our souls. I have a question for you kind of related to that and about your work and your book and 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 the ways in which it stirred me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you can reimagine love, but I kind of feel like you're doing that. Like, you know, the idea of like really that trying. love is ripping yeah. is like my going to be my favorite quote of all time. <laughs> like ripping love, like ripping. that's the kind of love I want to get with, you know. <laughs> yes. um, but the way that love takes many forms, right? It has a lot of different medicine. It's not just neat and tidy and it's not civil and sometimes it's it's fierce, right? Like like and ferocious. You were talking earlier about, you know, we have to love ourselves to love other people and so much of what I see, well I can only speak from my experience and and maybe people like me. I don't even want to generalize to that extent. And how it feels easier often to love others and to love myself. Like, it's way easier for me to advocate for other people. Like, I'll put it all on the line. And yet there's, like, something in the way of me... Loving you. Loving me, giving me time, take it... Like, I know, and I think that that's, I think that's a thing in our, you know, in, in just dominant culture. And, and yet, like, what I know from you is, like, you can't do one without the other. And, and so, like, that's a question I have for you is, like... What's in the way? You know, like, what is, I feel like there's like a stone on my heart. Like, what is it that, that, that you have learned is in the way of self-love? That is a very powerful and wonderful question. And, you know, I also am, you know, shaped by my experience, right? My location in the world as a Black girl, oldest child in the family. So maybe there's different kinds of things, Carrie. If I, I'll, so I'll try to say a couple of different kinds of things. You know, I think... For people of color, again, y'all, I don't mean all the people of color in every world and way, but the, the messaging in the culture, uh, the container in which we find ourselves, the environment in which we find ourselves is not conducive for people of color to love themselves. 
It's not. The media says you're not cute, you know, that you're you know, white or light and got long hair and whatever. All the messages from the time you are born as a black child, I'll be really particular, the story of America, <laughs> you know, it is not for you to love you. So if you're lucky enough, and I was, to be born in a family that said, the people are going to say, but we say. The first time I'm called the N-word, and she thinks you're... You're not wonderful. How, how silly is she that she doesn't know that you're amazing? But it is just so difficult, honestly, uh, to move in the world and and have a love for yourself. So that's it's a barrier. The, the culture is a barrier to self-love. And I would say, Carrie, white culture is a barrier for white people to love themselves too. And the reason is, you know, maybe Dave Chappelle said this famously, but the white people aren't even white unless they're rich and white. You know, your your whiteness isn't white like Trump white. So there is a class element to it, and there's a who, the Anglo-Saxon Protestantness of it. I mean, Norman Vincent Peale, famously, one of my ecclesiastical ancestors in the collegiate church, campaigned against Kennedy because he was Catholic. Period. That's it. <laughs> so the pockets of Europeans who came here not in the mainstream of white Anglo-Saxon Protestant landowning men. Those guys aren't white enough either. So you're not white enough, you know. So the story of what is lovable doesn't work for us. So what we have to do is resist that. And it does start, I was talking to one of my friends and she said, like, what about Dylan Roof and those guys? I'm like, yeah. Can we save Dylan Roof from the ways he didn't learn to love himself and then therefore he was a butthead and killed people? I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. But I do think we could today raise little white boys differently. We could. And I dream about that. I want, that's my project too. I want little white boys to be taught to be tender and gentle and to understand that they're lovable. Because if they know they're lovable, they don't have to conquer everything or stick their thing in everything, which is what boy children learn. You go get it, you conquer it, you take it, you hump it, you kill it so you can have it. You eat its heart so you can have it, right? But if we started with every little boy, every little boy is going to learn that they're lovable from their mommies and their aunties and their fathers, and no matter what ethnicity they are, and I'm just doing one stroke, one trope of people, little boys thinking that they got to be a certain kind of way, we could change the world. And we could change the world with little girls. Every little girl, every little girl, you are the prettiest when you're sassy. You are the cutest when you're strong and honest. You, you are the bravest when you cry. You know, like we can rework that. You are that, forgiven Karen. when you make a mistake. You know what I'm saying? My grandchildren are sometimes, they're going to hear this, like, my grandchildren are sometimes like the feral, wild children in the world because their mom and dad are saying, show us who you are. Mm. Not sit down and be quiet. like, mm -hmm. Or not be like these people. Jump off the couch onto the ground. Mother says, watch your body, honey. I'm like, who are you? Watch your body. Not don't. Watch your body. Carrie. That's revolutionary. Radical. <laughs> it is. So that's a lot, a long answer to your question, but I'm saying this is the revolution you and I are both writing about and leaning into. You know, so like we're both speaking to like entirely different experiences and such a different socialization. And, and you're right, like 
I internalized messages of superiority around whiteness and I internalized messages of like, you're never going to be good enough, right? In it from a gendered standpoint, from the same from the culture, same culture, from the same polluted culture. And it makes me think to your point that like, none of us are well, yes. none of us are lovable inside of that story. Some of us are, if you're white and wealthy and at the top and able-bodied and straight and cis, right? Like you're good, <laughs> you know, you're fine. You're protected. The structure was designed for you. But for most of us, and I just say that because that's where I feel like there's, there's some potential for us, right? So. To like, right. Work, like we're, work we're fighting against the same machine, even if we're, we're impacted differently. And I also want to say disproportionately. That feels really important to I say. I think that you're saying truth. It is different. It is disproportional. And all of us are capable of thingifying someone else. Like I want to own that, you know, I'm not, if I'm not careful about my disabled siblings and what kind of language I use or, you know, if we're not careful about our trans partners, like let's just be honest, like all of us, everybody got more privilege than somebody else is what I'm trying to say. Most of us have more privilege than than someone else. And so there's a kind of constant self-evaluation and critique and analysis and detox uh, to be a fierce truth teller to yourself and Carrie. And we have to start some place together. We are going to hell. I'm, I am so sorry, but this is a hell time. Or we're in hell. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we're just, or we're here. Oof. So we're going to have to talk a million, million more times <laughs> so we can. Like, How did the time go like this? Up? I know. But, but, but Carrie, what's. I want the people who listen to this, you know, podcast to buy both of our books. And in the show notes, I want— Together. together. They got married today, y'all. got together. So just put <laughs> they're together. They're going to make a baby called Fierce Detox or something. Fierce Wellness. But Fierce Wellness. Yeah. But also for them to hear you uh, and I say something that's a one thing— in the midst of all the crazy, pull one thread. What is the one one thing, Carrie, that you would say if you all would? You know, like the activist in me wants to say, like, get political. Mm-hmm. That's good. <laughs> but my, my soul wants to say question everything. Mm, I love that. Question everything. Everything you think you know. Everything you were taught. Every story you've internalized, right? Every limiting belief you've yeah. embodied, like question all of it um, and consider that there's more um, beyond it, right? There's fierce love, right? Beyond the lie. That's beautiful. Um, and that to me is the beginning because I want it to unlock for people an ability to um, experience rip and love across lines of difference, right? Across the aisle, like hard love, like gritty mm-hmm. love. Mm-hmm. And I also want it to move people in the way that you talk about movement, right? Movements are messy, but we have to move. I want it to move people into action. Because I feel like if we start to question everything and we start to embody a fierce love, we can't not show up for the future that we all deserve. We can't not. We can't not do something. It would be absolutely, you know, it would be ridiculous, right? That's for right. us not to act. So I would start there. I love that. How about you? At the risk of being repetitive, I do think we need to make it a project to love ourselves, like a a spiritual practice to love ourselves. How, why, why is it important? Is that narcissistic? No. 
And also, don't BS yourself. That's right. I am. This is me, right? Uh, Jim Loader, my uh, professor, said love is the non-possessive delight in the particularity of the other. The non-possessive delight in the particularity of the other. So I think, well, what about if I love me that way? I am absolutely butt-dragging tired. I am so tired I could cry. And therefore, I don't know where anything is. I lost my favorite red hat. <laughs> what the hell? Yesterday I left one phone home, and today I left the other one home. Like, I got to know myself and love myself. Know you are a goober. Know that you need to get in the bed and go to sleep. Know that you need to say no more. Know that you're wired for sound. Know that you talk too fast. And I'm shiny and brilliant and fabulous and yes, badass. And I can do anything I want to do, anytime I want to, because I want to. All of those things are equally true. I got to look at myself honestly and love myself. If every human being, and if you do that, parents, to your littlest one, you love them enough. So they take in how much you love them. Mm. So they love themselves. Mm. That's the revolution. That's it. That's the thing. Do not shit on them. Do not critique them. Do not tell them how to be. Let them be and love them so they can love themselves. Mm. Amen. That's what I would say. My friend with your beautiful shirt, with your new book that's coming out June 7. We got to talk again. Our babies are married. Our book babies. <laughs> it's an arranged marriage. No, we're not going back there. I love That's it. not the direction we're going You're in, so folks. Funny. When can I come to California and hang out with you? I want to come. Oh, my gosh. I mean, the invitation is wide open. I'm going to try and come to New York in June. Well, come in June. Let's do that. I'm going to try and come to New York in come June. Come to June and let's do church. <laughs> At the temple. How about that? Oh my God. <laughs> Church at the synagogue. I actually don't even know if I can like keep, hold it together. Every day. <laughs> no, because no, I'm going to keep like seeing the phoenix rising from the ashes. I'm just going to cry the whole time. I'm going to cry. And when you cry, pray for us, Tony, because raising up a phoenix out of the ashes is hard work. It really, really is. So. Yeah, but you know what? If anyone can do it. We can do it. <laughs> you can do it. Thank you, love. Thank you for writing this book. Thank you, sweetie, for writing yours. I love you, Carrie. I'm so glad you're in the world. I love you so Thank much. You. This is so fun. I think we should have a show. I know we should. Hey, <laughs> hey, Corey, you hear that? Jackie and Carrie. <laughs> Talk good stuff. Oh, my it. God. Talk about everything. I know. Everything. Be well. One of the things that Carrie Kelly and I have in common is a dream of a whole person wellness. That's about our bodies. That's about the body politics. That's about breathing and healing, but it's also about helping Mother Earth breathe. Where are you in your journey toward the intersections of the personal and the political? And I hope this conversation helps you weave those strands of your life together. <laughs>